Bowl on the docket, on whatever you want to call it. It's happening today. And, of course, we've got the Chiefs for you coming up at noon. Chiefs and the Seattle Seahawks. I'm Joe Weston, joined by my partner, Ned Reynolds. Ned, how are you on this Christmas Eve? It is on the gridiron, and that is where it will all be decided today. But, again, Joe, not all of it because there are three games tomorrow on Christmas Day in the National Football League, too. All three of them, I love this, too, all three of them in warm weather sites. Is there anything such as warm weather in this country right now? Well, I watched a little bit of the Missouri game in Tampa last night, and that's all they did was complain about the cold weather <laughs> down there. But come on, Miami, Los Angeles, and Arizona, where of course they'll have the roof closed, despite what might happen, probably going to be warm out there. But uh, that's the three for Christmas Day. Today we have a full slate, except for the uh, Monday night game, of course. So, the NFL, I think, is is kind of flexing their muscles a little bit. I, we talked about that this week when we did our 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 week our weekly uh, updates that we do uh, during the morning show. The mm-hmm. NFL flexing their muscles a little bit, going ahead and playing games on Christmas Day, because that's usually the prime time spot for the NBA, and will be this year as well. The NBA uses Christmas Day as their big showcase, even though the season opens in late October or early November and is well underway. But for TV purposes, yeah, football is supposed to be on the wane on Christmas Day, and as a result, the NBA has figured they'll take full advantage of this. NFL says, let's just wait a minute. Let's, let's see who's the king here. And that's why they've scheduled three games today, or tomorrow, I should say, on Christmas Day. Yes, it's Sunday, normally game time, but Christmas Day is not. However, we'll we'll see. It, it's kind of a power play. See who gets the ratings. I can promise you, in my opinion, who will get them, and that's the NFL. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's any question about it, but over and above all that, we'll have almost a full slate today, including the Chiefs game with the Seahawks, and then three of them tomorrow. Let's roll things back almost a week. We were sitting here on Sunday, and we were discussing the Chiefs and their game against uh, Houston. Houston, yeah. They played Houston, the worst, probably the worst team in the NFL. It didn't look like the worst team in the NFL. You know, everything falls into degrees, Joe. And Houston, while they have the poorest record in the NFL, they still have top-level athletes. Uh, did they play Kansas City closer than I thought? Heavens, yes. In fact, I made this comment to you earlier this week. These previous games that the Chiefs have played that have been close, where the point spread has been very much uh, skewed as far as Las Vegas is concerned, never in any of those games, never did this old reporter have a doubt that the Chiefs were not going to win. Always knew they were going to win it somehow. Last week, I did not have that same feeling. I no. thought when Houston got the ball in the overtime, uh-oh, this, this is trouble in River City. And fortunately for Kansas City, they got the fumble and recovered it and took it in on the next play. But again, you're running into a situation with how many times can you walk that very thin edge and not fall over it? And the Kansas City Chiefs, who are a better team than all of this, they seem to be have this penchant for being very dangerous with what they do and being very much, uh, I don't want to say taking their foot off the pedal because I don't think that's a conscious thing, 
but subconsciously you've got to have a killer instinct in there, and they have not shown that. Let me put on my Mike the intern hat right now and say, oh, the Chiefs, they just play down to their opponents. Do you think that's the case? I do not. I think the opponents play up to the Chiefs. I think the reverse is true in this case. Kansas City's Kansas a good team. In fact, in my opinion, I've said this many times, I think they're the best team in the NFL. The, the Chiefs, though, may have some vulnerability that we don't know about. We're the, we're the ones who observe. We're yeah. not down there in the field, nor are we in the locker room, nor anything else. There may be problems. Harrison Butker has to be a huge concern to them. I'm not so sure the guy is not still injured from that accident that he had on opening day when he planted wrong out in Arizona and twisted his ankle or did something, whatever it was. He's never been the same since then. Now, I noticed there was something of a brouhaha, to use that term, or a tete-a-tete between his holder and uh, Butker. Well, I don't buy any of that at all. I mean, you snap the ball back, guy gets it down there. It's a rhythm that you go into. You practice every single day, I would assume, for hours on end. But, hey, maybe they haven't been. Maybe that's where the disparity comes into play. Do not know. Those are the little factors we don't know. But one thing is certainly obvious. The Chiefs have to get a better offensive production from Butker. Yeah, he's always – Butker has probably the biggest leg in the NFL, if not the biggest one of the top five. Well, he can kick a long distance, no yeah, question about but that. his accuracy – and sometimes I've even looked at him and thought, is he just bored with all of this? Because he sometimes looks like he's – I'm just going to try to sneak it in this side of the goalpost. And – and no, I, I get that no, vibe from him, though. No, that some of his results do end up that way, but no, I don't. It's nothing intentional. I think he's trying every time. You can see it in the disappointment on his face. Yeah, but there is a technique or part of his mechanization with kicking that does need to be corrected. Either that, or if the holder is having some problems getting the snaps. I think there's so many variables that go into it, but no, I, I think the guy's trying hard. I think they all do. They're professionals. You're listening to Ned Talk, your local live sports talk show. We're on before the Chiefs pregame show starts in 53 minutes. <laughs> I'm Joe Weston with Ned Reynolds. Let's continue down this road that we're on right now talking about the Chiefs' problems. Another problem that developed last week, and uh, there's a couple of different things that may play into this, and that is penalties. A lot of big penalties last week, a lot of big pass interference penalties last week, and they really hurt the Chiefs. 102 yards, 10 penalties for 102 yards on Kansas City. And yes, that is by far, oh, I think Houston had four, four yeah. penalties. Well, I did read, and I'm probably, this guy's probably going to come down with a big sword over my head, this utter nonsense about a referee's conspiracy, that, uh, conspiracy against the Chiefs. That is such hogwash, balderdash, and of course these are word, they're words that I can't use on the air. Yeah. <laughs> that absolutely does not exist at all. Folks, these referees are good. They're paid, paid well to do what they do. They don't give a damn who is out there winning or not. They're there to adjudicate the game and do it the best they can. Now, are all the crews the same? No. No, and the crew of Carl Cheffers, the referee, Cheffers himself is an outstanding referee. Outstanding. He took, when my friend Larry Nemers retired, Carl Cheffers was his replacement, had been on Larry Nemers' crew. He's a highly rated official. 
does he have a real good crew in back of him? There may be some question about that. Is it a dishonest crew? Heavens no! But are they are they not an elite crew? That is possible. That is arguable. But but a conspiracy against the Chiefs? What kind of nonsense is this? Use your head and take your take your Chiefs raw 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 hat off and look at things objectively. <laughs> For heavens, I, I, I'm going to tell you, Joe. I, you know, this is 65 years for me in this business. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm getting too old and too jaded. But people who go overboard, uh, uh, rooting for team is fine. I have my own favorites. But my God, to go over and above all this and allege all this rubbish, that, that's, that makes no sense at all, grow up. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, 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 let me ask you this. And uh, Ned has the benefit of being friends with former White Hat, mm-hmm. Larry Nimmers, who's retired with very well-respected, one of the top NFL referees. Do you think, and I know this is true of baseball, but do you think in football, the week preceding the game, they sit down and watch film on a team? And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not buying in. I agree with you. I don't think that there's any. They don't have a dog in the hunt. They are just there to call the best game that they can. But do you think sometimes that they look at certain things and go, okay, we're going to watch this a little more closely in this game? Oh, I think so. I think that probably does happen, sure. But I also think they alert the teams. Uh, Hey, we're going to be watching for this and that and so forth and so on. So you make adjustments as a team. I don't think anybody goes into this with a total level of ignorance. But, again, uh, from an objective standpoint, they are all totally objective. Oh yeah, I, they are I, not. They are not the same intellectually and judgment-wise, <laughs> but they all are perfectly straightforward what they're doing. Well, I agree, I agree with you completely. Is I don't think that there's any big conspiracy here. I no, I, I don't especially. I don't think the referees or the NFL has it out for the Chiefs or any other team except for the Raiders. I think there is a conspiracy <laughs> against the Raiders, um, but. What I wanted to ask you about all of this is this is the same thing that happened to the Chiefs in the Super Bowl against Tampa was the officials called specifically a couple of guys who are pretty handsy on almost every series that the defensive side when they were on the defensive side and that really hampered the Chiefs at some point those guys have got to make an adjustment. But, Joe, they, yes, you have a good point in that they are handsy. They do a lot of pulling and grabbing. They're taught to do that. They're yeah. told, get away with as much as you can. So if there are going to be penalties, hey, that's the way it's going to be. But you don't gripe about it. If you're taught that concept, now, I, my theory always has been, of all the penalties in football, pass interference, is, it's kind of like the block charge in basketball. What is interference yeah. and what is not? In basketball, it's what's blocking and what's charging. Okay. Interference call needs to be universal high school, college, and NFL. There can't be a difference. It's ruining the game. Now, in the NFL, they give a spot foul. In other words, if the, if the interference is way downfield, well, that's where you get the ball. And in college, it's a 15-yard penalty unless it occurs within that 15 yards, and then it is a spot foul. But that's within the 15 yards, so it's one or the other. And in high school, it's the same thing, 15-yard penalty. I say, in my opinion, get every official in the country together, and I know they do have their meetings, but come up with some kind of a universal 
rule as to what is what is interference and what is not because now it's it's totally a person's perception of what is going on and there are some that are simply great defensive plays and they're caught up and had his hand on his back well come on people this is how you play the game for heaven's sake and uh, officials will have a perception as to what they're going to call and what they're not going to call is it done on purpose well it's perception yeah that's on purpose but against the team, no, not not in the least. So I do think there has to be some kind of universal decision as to what is interference and what is not interference, and let these guys play the game. If they're going to be jostling downfield, all right, it's up to the receiver to get away from the jostling, up to the quarterback to have time. In the NFL, owners run the show, and there are 32 of them. Those owners have almost universally, if not universally, decided that offense is going to be the key to getting crowds in the ballpark. That's why that spot foul on interference is probably never going to be changed. You want those fans in there and you want the scoring on the boards. Well, to that end, there's nothing you're going to do about it then because that's simply the way it's going to have to turn out to be. Well, that's almost a play in the NFL now. Throw the ball down the field, hope that you get a spot foul. Yep. And move the ball down the field, and and to me, that's not that's lawyer ball. That's not that's not playing the game. It I mean, it is within the rules, but it's just not playing the game. It isn't. It, it's a, a different philosophical approach. And you're absolutely. And I've said this before. I don't know why anybody ever runs a football, but throw it downfield because the chances are you're going to get an interference out of it. That is the way they are told to call the game by the rules committee, which is the owners. Yeah, <laughs> come on. So uh, that part of it is skewed, but not in college and not in high school. Different circumstance there altogether. Well, I agree with you. I, I would love to see that go away from being a spot foul because I, sometimes you look at those and the guy had no chance of catching the ball even if he wasn't defended or he, if the defender did everything he was supposed to do. You, you're, it was going to happen, and he gets that penalty, and I just think that's a cheap play. In my opinion, Joe, and this is mine, it takes away a little yeah. bit from the credibility of the game. Every time the ball's thrown downfield, yet the, the crowd is up and cheering and carrying on. Then when the pass is incomplete and no penalty, wait a minute, it had to be interference. Come on, what is it? Yeah. Come on, people. Exactly. <laughs> this it happens right. in almost every play. There's some form of interference on every play. Yep. By the book, by the rules. I mean, when you see a guy with his hand on the back of the offensive player, by rule, that is a pass interference. But did he really interfere? And the question most of the time is no. I mean, that hooking, that's the one they get away with the most. I think it's the hooking I know there's another one, too, that they do get away with, and the Chiefs are very good at being practitioners, and that's offensive pass interference. It's a pick play. The pick play is allowed within five yards, but beyond that five yards, you're not allowed to pick out that receiver going across and the defender who's going to follow him. So uh, that's that, <laughs> that's a judgment play all on its own right there. But here we're getting into what they call and what they don't call. Uh, the good teams are going to win. Yep, exactly. It's a simple matter of that. Well, penalties, special teams, and the third thing the Chiefs are not succeeding on very well. Well, actually, there's a couple of here, but... One is the turnovers have been really bad for the Chiefs. They have been. They've Terrible. had a Two fumbles of last week. Uh, I also saw another one on the th- – these blogs are utter nonsense. Uh, they why, should have called pass interference uh, – I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Should have called roughing the passer on uh, – Yeah. Uh, that, folks, is not roughing the passer. Whenever the ball is on the ground and picked up, you forget about everything. That individual is a ball carrier and subject to anything that goes on. 
period, exclamation point. And that is at every level of football. What Ned's talking about is the play in which Patrick Mahomes, uh, there was a fumble between him and Creed Humphrey on the snap. Mm-hmm. And uh, a defensive player came through and threw him down to the ground. This uh, threw Mahomes down after yeah. he picked up the ball. He's not a quarterback anymore. anymore. That's right. He is a runner at that point, and he's fair game, pretty much. That's yep. the way the rule works. So, nope, that was not a that was not a penalty <laughs> issue. But they've had a lot of turnovers. Mahomes threw three interceptions in the game against Denver. He looked very sharp last week, though. I think twenty. Straight 36, cons- I think. 36 or 42 he was. Or yeah, but he, like it was 20 straight consecutive mm-hmm. passes completed, and he was right on the mark all the way through the game. He seemed to tune himself up, but they still had the fumbles. They still had the problems with uh, with Pacheco, and uh, it, they've got to fix – they've got to sharpen that up before they go into the postseason. And today's game with Seattle is is one in which you might see that manifested again simply because the conditions up there are going to be on the harsh side. I've been told by several, not just one person, but several who have been involved in very cold weather games that once the game gets started, that becomes a non-factor. I don't believe that. This is awfully cold weather, awfully cold. And holding the ball, absorbing those hits can be awfully tough. So I'm, I'm anxious to see what... And and Seattle is not unaccustomed to cold weather. They, you know, it's not necessarily balmy up in Seattle. So when they come down here and take the field a little while from now, it's probably going to be about 14, 15 degrees. It will be sunny. The the conditions will be okay for football, but the the temperature will not be. How the Chiefs hold on to it, how they're able to absorb the blows, it'll be forthcoming. Seattle's a fair. They're not great, but a fair defensive team. They aren't all that bad. They're 7-7 seven and seven on the year and in the hunt. It's unlikely, but in the hunt for a playoff spot. And a team that's capable of putting a licking on somebody pretty good. They beat the Rams. Of course, the Rams are Terrible. very, very down this year. But beat them not too long ago. It's a team that can hit and play hard. I'm anxious to see what happens and how these guys absorb and acclimate themselves to what are going to be very cold conditions. One of the big sticking points for the Chiefs over the last few years has been defense. And last year we saw the defense sort of come together as the season went along. This season they seem to have come off the rails as the season has gone along. Part of that's penalties. Well, penalties have had something to do with it, yeah. But again, the Chiefs, <laughs> Joe, we're nitpicking here because one are the 11-3 and three on the year. <laughs> yeah, but I, at, at this point in the season, I think if you're a Chiefs fan or if you're looking for them to make a playoff run, go to the Super Bowl, you have to stop and go, okay, what's wrong with our team? How can we be better if we're going to beat teams like Cincinnati, like Buffalo? And you can't play the way the Chiefs have been playing and make a run. Well, you wouldn't think so. No. But, again, it is pro football. These guys are all capable of playing at a very top level. And how the Chiefs react, again, you're getting into the 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 latter part of a season in which there have been a lot of hits and a lot of a lot, just just an overall intensity in the football game that has gone on now for many months. And sometimes you get a mental fatigue out of this. And it's not just the Chiefs. It's every team. You played the ball and played the game for so long. Now you have to readjust your thinking and get ready for the playoffs and be at a mental peak every time those playoffs, every game that comes along. The Chiefs are certainly going to have to fall into that category. These final games, yeah, they are important as far as home field is uh, uh, involved, 
Kansas City wants that home field advantage, and yes, that's, that's a very important aspect of it. And they're in a fight with Buffalo. Buffalo has a tough game today at Soldier Field in Chicago. Yeah, the Bills are better than the Chicago Bears, but again, you run into a very dicey weather circumstance. These are all part of the mindset of a professional athlete. These are long 17 games in a season and a playoff situation coming up that really regards an overall mental adjustment almost every time out. That's why these late season games for the teams that have already clinched are really tough to get ready for. Somebody else that's kind of waiting in the wings there, their one game back is Cincinnati. And I tell you, It'll be cold in Kansas City today. It's going to be cold in Kansas City in January, not nearly as cold as it will be in Cincinnati and Buffalo. <laughs> or Buffalo. <laughs> so they do want that home field advantage as they go in the playoffs. When we come back, Ned and I will talk about the uh, Chiefs' opponent today, the 7-7 seven and seven Seattle Seahawks. You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, part of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Joe Weston, Ned Reynolds, with you on this Christmas Eve morning. 34 minutes away from the start of the Chiefs pregame show and an hour and 34 minutes away from the start of the Chiefs and the Seattle Seahawks. Let's talk about the Seattle Seahawks. They're 7-7. Seven and seven. You mentioned before we went into the break that they are got an outside chance of making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Still very much in the hunt, but it's going to be it's going to take some help from other teams. First of all, it has to take a win today and then help from other teams to get into the circumstances. A loss today doesn't necessarily knock Seattle out of it, but it certainly doesn't do them any good. The Seahawks team does present a bit of a challenge for Kansas City. Geno Smith is having a career yeah. year. Now, this guy, this guy, folks, is no newcomer. He's 32 years old, for heaven's sake. He, he was a star at West Virginia and at All-America and record setter with the Mountaineers, University of West Virginia, as far back as 10, 11 years ago. And took over there. Well, he has resurrected his career after having been with a number of teams. I think I'm going to have to go back in the records and check this. But I think he was a New York Jets top draft choice and didn't really make it with them. But he's been with the Chargers and he's been with several other teams as well before catching on with the Seahawks. And because of circumstances, injuries to Russell Wilson and circumstances of that nature, taken over as the QB. He does have 26 touchdown passes this year. And I think it's uh, something like eight interceptions. When you take a look at Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, he has 35 touchdown passes on the year, but he also has 11 interceptions. These guys can put the ball in the air. Smith is especially good at doing that. And against a defensive backfield of Kansas City that's had some problems here in recent games, you have to think that maybe, just maybe, uh, he might, he being Smith, might have some big games coming up. The problem is that Tyler Lockett, one of his top receivers, is not going to play. He's out because of a hand injury. The running game, running game's going to be pretty good. You have uh, Ken Walker and you have Isaiah Pacheco at running back. And these guys, especially in Pacheco's case, have really come on. Heck, he has, he has, Oh, it's well over 600 yards in rushing this year. And Walker, who's a kid out of Michigan State, 
has almost 700 yards in rushing. And in Walker's case, he is a backup to the normal individual, the guy who had been there, who is now out for injuries. You do have pretty good receivers. The Both both teams have very astute tight ends. Of course, Kelsey, we know all about him. But Noah Fant, who does the receiving for Seattle, is also a very effective tight end and is a frequent target for, for Smith. Fant is big kid Iowa. He went to college in Iowa. And he has been around in the NFL now for several years and is very adept at running those patterns. This is going to be a nice little matchup coming up here. And again, I'm going to say that even though the prevailing theory is that players and officials and everybody else don't notice the conditions, yes, you do too, folks. When it's cold out and it's going to be, I think kickoff is 14 degrees up at Arrowhead. That's, that's on the cold side. And now it's not 14 below zero, and I've seen games played in that condition too. The Ice Bowl, Packers and the Dallas Cowboys, and then the Cincinnati Bengals and the San Diego Chargers back in 82 when it was 15 below zero. Hey, these are virtually unplayable conditions. They're not literally because they played. But in terms, of, in terms of being able to play at your best, no, I don't think so. We'll see. Two of the guys you mentioned, uh, Kenneth Walker and Noah Fant, are questionable for today's game. Well, when questionable is listed, that means they're probably going to play. <laughs> Seattle, Seattle's had some injury problems. And again, injuries are much, much more noticeable the colder it gets. And so are the hits. <laughs> Geno Smith is uh, your definition of a journeyman. And I think he's been victim his career of somebody always looking for the next guy. Mm-hmm and not really paying attention to the guy that they had. And you mentioned that he failed at the Jets. Who hasn't failed as a quarterback for the Jets? Well, the Jets are one of those programs in which you're always looking for that superstar to guide them guide them into the promised land, the Joe Namaths and people like that. Uh, I think they made a great mistake when they didn't go for Trevor Lawrence. Lar- look what Lawrence has done with the Jacksonville Jaguars yeah. now. He has brought them back into contention. Well, as you mentioned earlier, the Jets had their rallying point and were in contention for a while this year, but unable to sustain that. And that's because of a number of circumstances, in, including their leadership on the field. But New York will be back one of these days. It's, it's, it's kind of a rhythm into which all these pro teams fall. I think that, they, that that organization has a philosophy problem because there's been so <laughs> many quarterbacks that have gone through there. And the question is, if you put Trevor Lawrence in the New York Jets, would they succeed? There's That's a very good question. The same can be said of Mahomes. If yeah, you put him in a different that. circumstance. I, I maintained several years ago when Mahomes was really at the peak, and he still is at the peak as far as that's concerned, if he had played for the Chicago Bears, what, do you, what would he have been? He would have been good, very good player. Yeah. Would he have been a great player? Probably not. One thing stayed the same with the uh, Seattle Seahawks. They had a very good team. You know, four or five years ago, maybe longer than that, time kind of gets away from me at this point in my life. But they they had a very good team, won a Super Bowl, Bowl, almost won another Super Bowl. Russell Wilson was the quarterback. They had the big running back. They had a tremendous defense. The only thing that's really stayed the same is they've they've let a lot of players go from that particular organization. Pete Carroll's there. And Pete Carroll, no matter what you might think of him personally, He's got a great football mind. He, there, there's no question about that. He, of course, was the coach of Reggie Bush at Southern Cal back in a rather controversial era. 
But, uh, yeah, he does have a football mind, very, very good mind. But you've got to you're, – you're as good only as your horses are on the field. And he did have – he had a very good team back in 2018-2019 in that era. And they were good. Yeah. And they're, they're pretty good right now. They're 7-7. Seven and seven, But the fact is, are they as good as Kansas City? Probably not. But they're better than Houston. And you saw what Houston did – to the Chiefs last week, and you saw what Denver did, and Seattle's probably better than Denver, too. And the better falls into the, except in the case of Denver, uh, the better falls into the category of QB because Geno Smith, while he is not an exciting headline-making quarterback, he is steady, and he gets the job done, and he has a very accurate passing record. And that in and of itself in the NFL is very important. If something were to happen to Geno Smith, and I don't want anything to happen to him, so let's just get that out of the way right away, we would see if a f- familiar name is his backup. Sure would. That's Drew Locke from uh, Lee's Summit and the University of Missouri, of course. And Locke did have a starting role with the Denver Broncos when he went out there, but he has not proven himself to be an NFL-level starting quarterback. He's more that role of the backup than anything else, and that's what he is with Seattle. But Locke can play the game now. Locke, I'll not forget, and this is way off the beaten path, but the year Missouri and Missouri State played, which would have been about 2016, I think it was 2016 or 2017, up in Columbia. And the Bears led the game, I think, 36-35 at halftime, somewhere along there, and lost, I think, 72-44. to Looks like a basketball game. It was a shootout on the football field. But after it was all over, here's Drew Locke coming over from the Missouri sideline and hugging and embracing all the Bears because he played against most of those guys in high school. I th- this is this is bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that that did happen. But he's he's a certainly capable quarterback, but hasn't really proven himself to be uh, at the mindset of handling NFL on a regular basis. Do you think this game meets the definition of a trap game? I do. Okay. I do. I think it does fall into that trap game. Kansas City's a 10-point favorite. Actually, 10-and-a-half, I think it is. And uh, most of the smart money people are saying, you better stay away from this one because, number one, that 10 and a half's a lot of points. And Seattle can put points on the board against a team that's shown some defensive liabilities. Now, I think if Kansas City rises up and plays to the full extent of what they're capable of doing, especially on that defensive line, and if they're able to put some pressure on uh, on Geno Smith, which is possible, Smith has I think he's been sacked something like thirty times this year, some some big number like that. I've forgotten exactly what it is. But there, the offensive line of Seattle is is very much in question. And if Kansas City rises up and Chris Smith and Clark and and uh, maybe one or two of the linebackers start putting a lot of pressure on the offensive backfield. And I think you might see a, a different circumstance altogether. Whether or not that can be manifested, I don't know. We're late, taking a look at a picture here of circumstances that are going on elsewhere around the NFL. And, folks, it's cold almost everywhere. Yeah, it doesn't uh, doesn't look good out there in the NFL right now for a lot of these teams playing under some very cold conditions there today. When we come back, we'll talk about Franco Harris. You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, part of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. 
back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. We're 18 minutes away from the start of the Chiefs pregame show. An hour and 18 minutes away from the start of the Chiefs and the Seahawks. All right here on 104.7 The Cave. Ned, always tough when the legends pass away. Franco Harris passed away this week. And so really difficult and how morbidly ironic that he he passed three days before the golden yep. anniversary of one of the legendary moments in all of pro football, all of sports for that matter, the Immaculate Reception. I remember it very well, 1972. I was at KY3 at the time. We had the game on TV, Pittsburgh and Oakland. It was a playoff game. And <laughs> I'll not forget it. It was a tremendously hard-hitting game. Played in Pittsburgh at Old Three Rivers Stadium where the Pirates used to play. And uh, we're going along. I have my tape machines all set. I'm taping. That's what we used to do back then, tape for the highlights that night. There was no such thing as ESPN and all these other, other shows of that nature. You got your own, and you did with it what you could and made your weekend broadcast as, as lengthy as you could in terms of being within the viability of what the schedule called for. All right, taping the game, and here comes the immaculate reception. And the thing that sticks out in my mind is Franco Harris running that into the end zone, and Kurt Gowdy, the late Kurt Gowdy, pretty good broadcaster, Hall of Famer, on the earth. That's not going to count, folks. That touchdown will not count. It's against the rules. You can't do that. <laughs> they go back and say, oh, yes, it does count. <laughs> and the Steelers win that. I think the final score was 13-7, if I remember correctly. But yeah. It was a tremendous battle. And Harris running in that immaculate reception, which was a pass from Terry Bradshaw that bounced off the intended receiver. But as it turned out, the defender, Phil Villapiano, was right there as well to knock the ball away. And that is the deflection is what... Harris caught, and that was permitted. The officials looked it over, not not instant replay, but they looked it over and said, uh, that's that's okay, that's a touchdown. I, I don't know. If they had instant replay the uh, then, if that play would have stood. I think that uh, the offensive player touched it, and it's but, not allowed but, to be touched by another offensive well, player. Well, at the time it was not. Now you can. It, the rules yeah. have since been changed. But but the defensive player also was involved, and his hand could have touched it as well. That's where the indecision came in. They said, well, it's indecision, so it'll stand. Yeah, And exactly. the game was in Pittsburgh. And there would have been a lot of, <laughs> let me tell you, there would have been a lot of pass interference calls in that game. Oh, I can tell you that was a very hard-hitting game. And Franco's Italian Army was there in great force, too, that day. You have uh, some sort of connection to Franco Harris that I uh, you told the story this week on when we were doing the morning show, and I'd like you to relate that story sure. again. It's very limited, of course, but back in my final year in the U.S. Navy, I was I was land based, and I had the opportunity to moonlight quite a bit at area radio stations, and I was working for WKDN in Camden, New Jersey, which is which is Philadelphia's East St. Louis, and our mantra back then was from the capital to the cape we covered all that area of south and central new jersey and back then radio was a big deal and we did high school games of the week it came down to and back then there were no playoffs there are now in new jersey just like there are here in missouri and they both enter uh, i i want to say came into effect about the same time chronologically the late 1960s but in this year 1966 
Uh, we did our high school game of the week, and this was the last game of the year for Mount Holly, New Jersey. Now, Mount Holly is probably about, I'm going to guess, 25, 30 miles to the north of Camden or Philadelphia. It's almost really right. Philadelphia is so large, it's practically across the river from there, but still 30 miles away. And I said to the the broadcaster with whom I was working, Dave Moss, do we really want to do this game? He said, we sure do, Reynolds. Mount Holly versus Pemberton, which is a great area rivalry. The towns are right next to each other. But from a, an athletic standpoint, not a good one. Because Mount Holly was pretty good and Pemberton was not pretty good. I said, well, yeah, I know this guy up there at Mount Holly is pretty good, but do we want to, there are other games. Now nope, we're going up there. So we did. And that was to cover this all New Jersey running back named Franco Harris. And was he ever dynamite? I think he ran for 150, 160 yards that game. And, of course, Mount Holly, which has now changed its name to Rancocas Valley Regional. Rancocas is a river that runs right next to Mount Holly. Changed it to that. And uh, Franco Harris is probably, arguably, the greatest athlete ever produced. It's a small town, very, very small community. Look at this guy out there with <laughs> he's out of his mind in this cold oh, weather. Who is that? Uh, but over and above that, he was he was just a super athlete and a very very good person. And from that point, his final year at Mount Holly, he uh, <laughs> matriculated at Penn State University's All America at Penn State, and uh, taken by the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, and the rest is history about what a star he was with them. Uh, he was a terrific guy, and it's really a shame that he has left us at an age of 72, which is, you know, too it's young. not considered to be old, but it's it's too young to go. Yes, Franco Harris, uh, a legend in the NFL besides the Immaculate Reception. I think he was third all-time. Third all-time. Leading rusher when he retired, and he was a game-changer. Uh, Terry Bradshaw said that our offense ran through Franco Harris. It wasn't the other way around. Wasn't Terry Bradshaw's offense. It was Franco Harris's offense. They had it, when they needed that yardage, they handed it to Franco Harris, and he got it from, uh, from them. And then, they, then the bus came along, and he kind of took Franco Harris's place. But – Again, you have that metamorphosis in all of pro sports, and uh, Franco Harris was a star on some great Pittsburgh Steelers football teams, too. Great all around, not just on offense, but the Steel Curtain was there on defense, and Mean Joe Green and that crew, they were, they were all right there. It was, it was a storybook era in Pittsburgh sports. It was legendary, that team, and, uh, you know, growing up, as Raiders fan, like it did, that game, you know, it, it pivots history. If the Raiders win that game, if Franco Harris doesn't make that catch, they go possibly to the Super Bowl. They play the Vikings. Do things change? Are the Steelers not the team of the 70s? Are the Raiders? But it's just amazing how one play, <laughs> one play maybe changes everything. So well, the, Such an incredible, iconic play. And it isn't just for that one. There are other circumstances and with other teams that have occurred as well in which you think, would their future have been the same if thus and such hadn't happened? Yeah. So, oh, yeah, you, you can see that. Would the St. Louis Cardinals have gone on and won the World Series if Don Denkinger had made that key call or had not made that key call at first base? Again, these are all all circumstances that we'll never know. Michael Kay always calls it the fallacy of the foredrawn conclusion, which is not <laughs> not necessarily not necessarily true. There is no foregone conclusion, none. We just saw a uh, some scenes from Kansas City. The announcer for ESPN was wearing he was entirely decked out head to toe, 
with a hat, with a ski mask over his face, with goggles and a coat. And then we saw a Seahawks player who was just in his uh, just in his pants. He wasn't wearing shirt. He was was not. It was DK Metcalf. Yeah, we were looking. He's an outstanding receiver too. I might add, outstanding. But he had no shirt on. No. Now his physique is is it's a Greek Impressive. god. I mean, I probably wouldn't wear a shirt either. No, but <laughs> but not when it's twelve degrees outside. Good lord. But, he, hey, we're tough. We're going to do that, and that's the way it's going to be. <laughs> when we come back, we'll have our picks for today's game. You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, part of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Yeah, it's going to be really, really cold today. 18 for a high, 4 for a low tomorrow. Looking a little bit better, but who cares? You're Today's... listening to Ned Talk. I started on early, 104.7, The Cave. <laughs> started early. the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. I think I'd know that by now. Put that all together. Still, I know it. Here we go. We're talking about what's happened with the uh, the Chiefs and the Seattle Seahawks. It's time for our picks. Time for Ned's. Ned's ironclad rock solid pick of the week. So, what do you think, Ned? My ironclad last week was thirty-eight to thirteen. The Chiefs <laughs> to beat the Houston or uh, the Houston Texans. Went back to the old days and called them the Oilers, Houston Texans. And it was hardly that at all. Kansas City won at thirty twenty-four in overtime. Goodness sake! All right, what about today? Kansas City's a ten and a half point pick over the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle's not all that bad a team, folks. They're seven and seven on the year. Still theoretically in the playoff hunt. Theoretically. Pete Carroll, very bright coach, very innovative. So is Andy Reid, for that matter. Does Pete Carroll's team have the horses to be able to do some damage to Kansas City? And the answer is yes, they do, if everything comes together. But it would take a perfect game, in my opinion, for Seattle to win this one. Geno Smith, I I look for him to complete a lot of passes. Whether or not they are long passes... The over-under on these teams is probably pretty high, I would think. I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of scoring, and that's because it's going to be as cold as it will be. Up in Kansas City, kickoff will be about 17, 16, 17 degrees, somewhere around there. That's cold. I don't care what anybody tells you. Players may not feel it quite the way the fans do, but I look for a game in which Kansas City wins, and I'm going to guess it's going to be in the neighborhood of 31 31 to 24. I think Seattle will play them that close. I think it's a 31-24 win and within the confines take the points and go with Seattle, but I do think Kansas City wins it. Would you put money on today's game? I w- I didn't. No. no. Okay. Or chocolate chips, chocolate I guess. Chips. Should, chocolate no, chips, I guess I should play. Not playing this one, no. This is a tough one because I do think that if there's one team left on the schedule that could beat the Chiefs, I think actually all three of these teams could beat the Chiefs. I think there's don't a chance. Think, I don't think Denver can in Kansas City. I think I think they, there's a chance. That's my opinion. I think this team has the best shot of defeating the Chiefs of any team, and I do agree with you. That I think this is a trap game, but I'm not going to pick Seattle because I think, <coughs> excuse me, the, the Chiefs' hallmark of their season so far is they've found a way to win. They've found a way to win these games, and when they've lost, it's really come down to just they weren't the team with the ball at the end of the game. So I, I'm, I'm going to go with the Chiefs. I think it's going to be a little more low scoring. 
So I'm going to say 25-14 will be the final okay. score of this game. And I look for a little bit of what you said. I, I think Geno Smith's going to have a good day, but I, I think he's going to have a hard time putting the ball in the end zone. I think it's going to be a little bit of a frustrating day. But I, what I hope coming out of this game is that we see maybe some incremental steps with Kansas City and their offense, Kansas City and their defense, is that maybe they look work on ball security, that they work on uh, the penalties, and that we see Butker do what he needs to do to go out and put a little more faith and confidence in him as the season progresses. And this is not a good day for that to happen either because of the cold weather, ball won't fly as far, and the wind is going to be substantial up there depending on which way it's blowing. But again, I think again, and I hate to harp on this, but weather is going to be a bit of a problem. Happy, Merry Christmas, man. And to you. And Happy to holidays. All, all our listeners, Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah. I want to remind everybody that we'll be on the air for New Year's Day at 10 a.m. That's next Sunday, a little over a week from today, for the next Chiefs game right here on 104.7 The Cave. Kick back and enjoy, and have a very, very Merry Christmas. I mean, I'm-